Freebird, Episode 6, Rock Bottom. Freebird, the Ashley Freeman story is a Thirsty Goat original podcast. This is Episode 6 of a multi-part story. We encourage you to go back and start Episode 1 before listening to this episode. Before anyone can begin their rise out of addiction, they have to hit their rock bottom. While many can never claw their way back from rock bottom, Ashley uses us to finally see herself as totally stripped down. A great quote that I have always loved is, Never be afraid to fall apart. It presents an opportunity to rebuild yourself the way you wish you'd been all along. This quote exemplifies Ashley's battle and needing to completely fall apart and realize she couldn't self-medicate. She couldn't run anymore. She was going to have to rebuild herself. During this episode, Ashley discusses hitting her rock bottom before her last arrest. Ashley discusses the numerous times she would overdose and wake up covered in cold water and had just been Narcan. Ashley also details her last arrest and is looking at an initial offer of 25 years in prison. She discusses what it took to get to the Jackson Jennings Community Corrections and give her a hope of sobriety and filling the hole inside her. Addiction can capture anyone without warning, and the depression and regret that comes along with the addiction only powers the addiction more. If you or someone you love is struggling with addiction, please reach out to 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357 for information on facilities and services. Addiction is real. It doesn't have to be the period and end to your life. This story of addiction and overcoming the shackles and chains it places on you is my friend Ashley's. We hope you enjoy. Previously on Freebird. Ashley is back in Mitchell, Indiana and working at the Pizza Hut in Bedford. She is staying clean and trying to do the right things. Following the removal of her house arrest ankle bracelet, her co-workers throw a party for her. Ashley thinks that drinking one night won't cause any problems. This puts her on the spiral again towards rock bottom. Freebird, Episode 6, Rock Bottom. And we'll say that. Let, let's start with, you know, we've talked that last time you were out. When you go back to Lawrence County and, for lack of a better way to say it, shit hits the fan pretty fast. Yeah. You said within a week you were using again. Um, how bad did it get? Um, it got so bad that. Okay, so I had been drinking. Um, I was prescribed Suboxone. Um, I had been taking nerve pills. Um, and I started using meth. Um, eventually, I started using heroin. Um, and I was 
I was combining everything. Um, it was getting so bad that um, I was overdosing constantly. And um, I would just, there's times when, you know, I'd be, you know, in a room full of people, and next thing I know, I'd be waking up. And I'm soaked from head to toe, you know, where somebody thrown ice water on me. Um, they'd Narcan me, you know, I, and Narcan, it gives you awful headaches, and um, it makes you, it just makes you shake. It sends you into instant withdrawals. So I'd be shaking, and sometimes, I mean, it makes you really, really nauseous, too. You know, and the first few times that that happened to me, I was really confused. I had no idea what I did. Um, and then it got to where I just knew when I would just wake up, completely blackout, wake up, and everybody's standing around me looking like, you know, they saw a ghost. And I'd not, I got to where I knew, like, I did it again, didn't I? And it was the mixing, um, it was mixing benzos and fentanyl, benzos and heroin. Um, and it's just so dangerous. It's so dangerous. You have no idea what you're getting when you're doing it. You know, they sell these little pills, and they're Xanax. They have the right markings on them. They have the right numbers and everything. They look just like them in their Xanax and their fentanyl. Knowing how dangerous it was, and this is probably a, a silly question, but knowing how dangerous it was, did it ever cross your mind as you were going into, you know, you were going to use again thinking, I should find another way or I should do something different? Or was it just that good? I would try. Um, I would tell myself, you know, after that, I'd be like, I'm not going to take Xanax again. You know, I'm not taking those Xanax again. I'm not doing it. And I would for a while, you know, and then when I would take the Xanax, I would try to wait a few days, you know, try to wait and get it out of my system before I did any heroin. Um, I tried to, you know, just mix stuff up a little bit or do less or snort it instead or something. You know, I tried all these different variations. Um, and, you know, everybody around me was constantly keeping Narcan. Um, and, you know, I mean, it was just by the grace of God that, you know, th that they didn't let me die, that God didn't let me die. I ask you off air, and it's a little different because I ask you if you had ever had suicidal thoughts, and, and we talked about that, that you hadn't. You ever always saw things as a temporary problem, but do you think at this point, with how reckless you had gotten with the use, and I, I know you were still trying to figure out, play the days, do you think subconsciously you were just pushing the limit as much as you could? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Not even, again, I'm not, I don't, not putting it on you that you actively were thinking, I'm going to overdose and end this. But was it a, if I don't wake up, I'm, I'm comfortable with that, I guess. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. 
But if I don't wake up, I, it may be better. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, when, when you struggle, when you've tried and failed so many times, and, you know, this kind of thing becomes your life. Jails, institutions, you know, um, you know, friends' couches, just constantly like a life on the run. You're either chasing something or you're running from something, um, you know, when that is life for you, you know, and you kind of give up on yourself to the point where you're like, I'm not going to get this. I'm never going to get this. Then, you know, it's like anything's got to be better. If I can't get it right, this is miserable. Anything's got to be better. Either I'm going to get the high or I'm going to finish it. Right. So I'm either going to feel better temporarily or it's going to be right. Over. And I think I, I sympathize with that. I try to be careful. I, I hate when people always say, I understand you, because I don't understand right. what you're saying. I sympathize with it. And that's, that's what's terrifying for me to think, you know, is that we talked and you had never had that, I can't make it through today. I may make a rash decision, but to think in a subconscious way, I don't know how to say it right. You were, you were at peace with it, I guess is the best way to say whatever happened. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying to think that, that it had drug you to that point. And I, I'm going to come back around to something you said. It's also terrifying for me to hear, or it's a gut punch, I guess is the best way for me to say, that you almost got comfortable waking back up from an overdose. That's a powerful statement. And the fact that you just got to the point of, okay, I know why I'm soaking wet. I know why I'm nauseous. I know why I have a headache. I overdosed. I've been Narcan. That's something that people really need to take a minute to think about where you were. And I want to I want to touch again to something you said last time when we were talking off the air. And I want to say this the right way, and I want you to touch on it. But I think there are some people who really judge those who suffer from addiction and look at them as bad people. And I, 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 I do not see that that way. Um, I mean, there are bad people who are, are addicts, but there are really good people who are addicts too. So I, I don't judge them based on the, the disease. But I think it's amazing to think, not only by the grace of God, but the fact that people weren't willing to just let you go and disappear and be gone and not know what happened. You made a statement last time that you got really good at doing CPR. And that stuck with me because I'm required to be certified and trained in CPR. And I've been trained for 15 years and I've never done CPR on another individual. But to think about the people that 
you've had to try and help save or that have saved you, it really brings back what you talked about earlier about that it's a community and it's a tribe. You're looking out for each other. How tough is it in those situations when you're helping someone else? Like, you know, you know, you've just gotten high with them and you're stressed and they're overdosing. What's it like to try and help someone? The first time it, somebody ever overdosed in front of me, um, I didn't know the person. And it was hard. Um, you know, I had to breathe for somebody. And I remember somebody telling me one time, if you can just breathe for him, you don't, no chest compressions, nothing. If you just breathe for him until the ambulance gets there, until somebody gets there, they'll, they'll have oxygen, they'll be okay. And it was hard at first. I did not know this person, complete stranger. And they made it. Um, it got easier after that. It got so much easier. It it got to where it was just a reaction. And, you know, I found that, you know, in doing that and saying when something is hard, it's not only worth it, you save somebody, but then when it happens to you, somebody else does that for you. What... During that time, to give us an idea, how often do you think you were overdosing? Twice a week, sometimes. It, it, at first, it was about, you know, and I'm talking this last, um, between March and September when I got arrested. At first, it might have been, um, you know, one time in three weeks or something, and then it got... It got to be like, you know, once a week, twice a week sometimes. It just kept happening. The stuff we we were getting was so strong. And, it was and, so strong. And it's got to be, you know, we, we you talked earlier about how you had this plan of, if I take this, take Xanax, I'm going to wait three days before I do anything else. Or the levels and variance in some of this stuff that you're getting had to play into that, whether it's so strong or it's, you know, a normal Xanax without fentanyl in it that had to play into, you can't really judge what you've put in yourself. You can't know. And, you know, when you are putting chemicals into your body for 20 years, you know, you don't know what you're doing internally to yourself. And, you know, it could just be one time. You know, and you your body's just had enough. And you just can't take it. I've seen it happen to people. I know you talked a little bit about the first couple times you woke up from an overdose, but in that run, were you ever scared? Yeah. Um... The first few times I was, you know, and then um, I think after you've had time to process it, 
you know, because at first, first immediate, your thoughts are, what the fuck happened? Your, your whole body hurts. Everything hurts. You're nauseous. Your head's pounding. Um, and when all that wears off, you wait, you know, go to sleep, wake up, and then you're like, I, I, I almost died. I could have been dead. And all those thoughts start hitting you. You know, what if? What if this hadn't happened? What if they hadn't been there? Ashley and I now transition to discussing the situation around her last arrest. Ashley picks up the story with her leaving her boyfriend's house in a truck with 17 grams of meth and one gram of heroin. She also discusses the amazing work of her attorney, David Shercliffe, to help her secure the opportunity at Jackson Jennings Community Corrections. I had left my boyfriend's house that night with a friend, and we end up pulled over. Um, and the dogs hit the car, um, and what are you thinking when they, you know, they're going to bring the dogs praying just somehow, yep. Somehow it doesn't hit. Um, Yeah. And um, the girl who was with me had uh, baggies of heroin in her bra. And um, they really only hit that side of her car. That that was it. Um, so they, they split us up and take us to the police station, you know, and... Um, well, they put an article in the paper. You know, she told him I had a box under the hood of the car. Um, they go back and find it. And, um, you know, there was there was 17 grams in there. And they charge us both with level twos, level two dealing, and take us to jail. So, um, you know, that was 11 months of not having a clue what was going to happen. You know, beating myself up for all the chances I've had. You know, part of me feels at that point like I don't deserve it. I don't deserve another chance. Um, And then, you know, the louder part of me is like, this isn't over yet. You know, I believe that everything happens for a reason. Um, I am the first one to admit when I'm wrong. I'm the first one to tell on myself. In video court, I tried to tell them that everything in the car was mine. And by the grace of God... They did not use that against me further on. So you were even taking credit for what she had? I was trying to. I was trying to. Why? Because, um... I felt responsible for it. 
So you're there 11 months. Yeah. What was the, what was the, the offer? What was, what were you looking at? The first offer that um, I got was 25 years. Um, uh, The prosecutor had said that um, I needed to find a long-term facility. Um, Because at the time, there were so many... um, people in trouble for the same thing at the same time I was. And they were letting a lot of people out um, on house arrest, pre-trial release, things like that. Um, My co-defendant, they let her go to really the only long-term facility that I knew of. Um, So when my mom was trying to find me one, um, they told me I couldn't obviously go to the same facility as her and uh really that left no options <clears throat> I knew from um being here in Seymour that Mariana was working over here um my mom contacted her And she helps run JJCC. And she told my mom that they had just built this work release center. Um, If I could get sentenced to something, that they would take me here. I just had to be sentenced. It couldn't be a pretrial anything, you know. So I started working on that. What's it like when you have that first offer and it's 25 years? Um, I guess I knew what what they were. I knew what I was facing because I'd been watching other people with the same charges as me go to court. Um, and they did file a habitual on me also. So, the maximum was a lot higher than that, if it, if it stuck. Um, it wasn't me at that point that I was scared for, I was scared for my mom. So, what did you have to do to get a sentence that would allow you to get here to JJCC? So, um, let me just tell you that I, I prayed so much. This is all a faith thing, you know, um, I came to this point where, um, I mean, I just call it awakening, you know, 
where I learned how to I learned how to just be present and stop letting my thoughts, my past um, situations, you know, run over me. I, in my mind, I just kept um, visualizing. I kept seeing a miracle happening. I really did. Um, Every time I'd go to court, um, you know, they would just send me back. They would just send me back. It took a long time, really. Um, I can't tell you how many times I, you know, would tell my attorney, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to go here. They can send me here. Here's the information. Here's the paperwork. Here's all this stuff. And he's just like you got to come up with something better, you know. you got to come up with a backup plan. And I'm like, this is my backup plan. Um, and I just kept going in there believing that there, there was going to, this wasn't all for nothing. There was something good that was going to come out of this. And um, I, I went in there one day and they, they had finally accepted it. They decided, I, I, had a prosecutor that was um, kind of new. And when they went through my evidence, they just didn't have... The only things that they had really were her statement. Um, and the judge told the prosecutor that, you know, he's got a pretty weak case, and the weaker case needed to give something. So... They, um, I had a great attorney, by the way. I had a great attorney. And, uh, he got, um, he got me here. He got me, you know, three years work release here. And, um, they got me sentenced. And I, I did plead guilty to a level five dealing. Um, And I have been here now for eight months, nine months, going on nine months. If you like what you've heard so far from Freebird, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us greatly move up the charts. Also, if you want to support the work we do, please head over to our Patreon account. For $10 a month, you can not only get early access to all the episodes, behind-the-scenes content, You can also support the work that we're doing with Freebird to help support those winning the battle against addiction. Check out our theme song by Boogus, Freebird, available wherever you get your music. Jupiter, stand
stand still, now you're close to the Lucifer. Got a Colt 45 trying to loosen up. Got a buzz online trying to boost it up. Got a dad and a mom trying to make him proud. Got a bag and a bong trying to bake a pound. I'ma up my ante, touch my Grammy, go with my family down to Miami. No, they can't control my visa. My world, I roam like Caesar. My song, my girl, my diva. Good drink, my good sativa. God knows I'm far from lousy. Lord knows I'm smoking loudly. Hot box, I'm riding cloudy. Eyes drop like Ronda Rousey. I'ma use the two legs that God gave me. Go so long, bitch, I'm Tom Brady. I go Kobe, drop about 80. Then I roll out in a drop top, baby. 285, I do about 80. Push to the limit when I get in it. I don't get high till my third blunt finish. When I can't deal with the weight and the pain of the world, I write my pain and I sing for the world. Came from afar, ain't came for the fame, but I came for the change I could bring to the world. When I can't deal with the weight of the world, I write my pain and I sing for the world. Came from afar, ain't came for the fame, but I came for the change I could bring to the world. I go And I'ma see Arizona I'm in Georgia Sun is shining in Florida I'm a free bird Smoking on California In Indiana